Thanks for joining us. The following is a presentation of Ignite Global Ministries and features the teaching of Pastor Ben Dixon. Pastor Ben has a vision of strengthening the church to impact the world. He serves as lead pastor at Northwest Foursquare Church in Federal Way, Washington. Go ahead and open your Bibles to 1 John as we start in chapter 1 today, and we're going to go ahead and pray and just jump right in. Amen? Well, Father, we do thank you today for your word. Your word is a lamp unto our feet. It's a light unto our path. And I pray, God, that you would reveal your word to us today in just this short amount of time, Lord, we do pray that you would use it for your glory. And we thank you, Lord, for these last broadcasts, the different books of the Bible that we've gone through, the book of Mark, the book of Amos. And we pray now as we set our hearts to go through 1 John that you would teach us by the Holy Spirit, help us to understand what this book is all about, how we can grow in our relationship with you and loving other people. It's what we want to do, Lord, and so we pray. Use this for your glory. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen and amen. We are here at the Daily Word opening the, the book of First John, and we are just simply studying chapter 1 today. There are 10 verses, so that shouldn't take us that long, but you know if you've been around long enough with me, it takes a while. So let's go ahead and read through these verses, and then we'll jump back into commenting and sharing about the various passage or the various verses here. So here's what it says, 1 John chapter 1 and verse 1, what was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life, and that life was manifested, and we have seen and testified and proclaimed to you eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. What we have seen and heard, we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. These things we write so that our joy may be made complete. Many translations say your joy. They don't say our joy. Just a, just a notation there. Verse 5, this is the message we have heard from Him and announced to you that God is light, and in Him there is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and yet walk in the darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as He is in the light Himself, as He Himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus His Son cleanses us from all sin. If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. Amen and amen. This is the word of the Lord. Now, it's really important that we have just a simple overview and introduction to the book of 1 John. Every time we open a book of the Bible, we want to give just enough information for us to have a proper context. We could go on and on about about how, where this comes from and the setting for this book, but I'm just going to give you enough for us to kind of understand. Now, if you followed along with us on the weekend, you know I've talked about the Apostle John. The Apostle John, while he wrote 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, this was when he was in his mid-90s. At this point, most scholars believe, and I'm convinced, that John had already written the book of Revelation. He had already been exiled to the island of Patmos, and he had been sent back this was after 16 months of being there. He had, been, he had been sent back to Ephesus, which is where he was for 30 years prior to being a political prisoner and exiled to the island of Patmos. So he has already written the book of Revelation, which is interesting because 
There are things that he says can be really contextualized, and they're very powerful when you consider what he's already done, what he's already gone through, and where he is in life. These statements sort of become more powerful to us. In my, in my view, it's important to know that. He's in his mid-90s. He's gone through so much. He's the last living apostle at this time. The book does not actually say that John is the author, but there are many in church history that claimed his authorship. And so I just, have, I just wrote down several. You have Irenaeus. This is a church father. A.D. 140 to 222, Clement of Alexandria, Tertullian, Origen, all of these church fathers actually share with us or have claimed throughout history that John was the author. And so the early church fathers believed he was the author of this, even though the book itself doesn't say that. And this letter is consistent with the Gospel of John and his other writings. And so it's important for us to know that we, we don't know exactly who he's writing to, But it's very clear that who he's writing to, the people have been affected by false teaching, namely what's called Gnosticism. Now, I have a definition of Gnosticism that I wrote down, and I wanted to make sure that you understand, that we understand what Gnosticism actually is. You might hear this terminology brought up in church, like Gnostics or Gnosticism, and maybe you've never understood what Gnosticism is. And so I wanted to make sure I have a decent definition so that we can all kind of understand what this is. Gnosticism was influenced by such philosophers as Plato, and it advocated a dualism asserting that matter was inherently evil and spirit was good. As a result of this, these false teachers, although attributing some form of deity to Christ, denied his true humanity because, again, they they felt that uh, matter was evil, spirit was good, and so they denied Jesus' true humanity to preserve him from evil in their eyes. And it also claimed, Gnosticism also claimed, elevated knowledge, a higher truth known only to those in the deep things, known to the deep things of God. Only the initiated had the mystical knowledge of truth that was higher even than Scripture. Instead of divine revelation standing as judge over man's ideas, man's ideas judged God's revelation. This heresy featured two basic forms. First, Some people would assert that Jesus' physical body was not real and only seemed to be physical. I just want you to picture that for a second, okay? Some of the Gnostic teaching had gone so far that they literally denied Jesus in the flesh, okay? And this makes a lot of sense when you read 1 John chapter 4, where John's actually talking about those who are of Christ are going to not deny, they're going to claim, and they're going to speak about Jesus came in the flesh, right? So when you test a false spirit, a false spirit is going to say Jesus, they're going to deny that Jesus came in the flesh. Clearly, an opponent of the truth is going to be those that adhere to Gnosticism, and that makes a lot more sense when you start reading the book. Now, there's another, um, uh, John forcefully affirmed the physical reality of Jesus by reminding his readers that he was an eyewitness, and we'll talk about that. According to early tradition, uh, Irenaeus was a church father who, who would suggest this. Another form of this heresy which John may have attacked was that Christ's spirit descended on the human Jesus at his baptism and left him before his crucifixion. All right, just think about how problematic that is. You have Gnostic teaching that's influenced the church at this point to such a degree where John's having to write a letter and set the record straight. Now, he's already taught these people the truth. 
But now he's having to go back over the truth and ensure that what they've been taught by these Gnostic teachers is not only false, but he's reiterating what he taught them before they were influenced by the false teachers. Now, Gnosticism has many forms. It has not only a waterway, but lots of tributaries. And you're going to see that in, in much of what John is going to try to root out in his conversation here. And so I'll do what I can to kind of highlight, hey, this is why he would have said this, because there are things where he'll say, if we claim, you know, he says that in here twice in, in chapter one, if we claim this, then this is what that would mean. Well, he's saying that in response to the claims that have been made by Gnostic teachers that have been influencing the church. If we claim, there are those who that have, that have claimed these things. And so we want to make, he's saying, we want to make sure that we deny those claims. Those claims are not real. Those claims are not the truth. So he's reiterating the truth. He's going back to what he originally taught them. As the last living apostle, clearly he has the authority to do this. And so we, of course, want to glean from this as much as we can. Now, Gnosticism is not something that is taught today entirely, but there are branches of Gnosticism. There are kind of the sense that this sentiment of Gnosticism, or there are all kinds of other false teachings that have kind of come out of those types of teachings. And so it's important that we maybe identify along the way in 1 John what maybe we can relate to today, not just a historical false teaching, but there are many present false teachings that we can identify and we want to move away from as well. So I'll do what I can to do that. But let's go ahead and just jump back into 1 John chapter 1 and just go verse by verse. And here's what verse 1 says. What was from the beginning and what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes and what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. He's talking here, of course, about Jesus. What, we, what was from the beginning, Jesus was from the beginning. What we have heard, they heard he as an eyewitness of Jesus, as the last living apostle, he clearly has seen Christ, he says, what we have seen with our own eyes, we have looked at, we have touched, we've handled. He, he's, he's making this all very real. I heard from Jesus. I, I was around Jesus. I was an eyewitness of Jesus. I was, this is not false. What I've taught you is actually true. I am an eyewitness. These, and, and that's in contrast to false teachers who don't know what they're talking about. They don't know what they're talking about at all, and so John is combating that very clearly. He's affirming that he is an eyewitness, and this is also a comment to deny any form of dualism that has been taught by the Gnostics. In verse 2, he says, and the life was, that life, the word of life, was manifested, and we have seen and testify and proclaim to you the eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. Here he's emphasizing the eternality of the Lord Jesus Christ. He calls Jesus life. Jesus just doesn't give life. Jesus is life. Jesus is life itself. Life emanates from him. Life flows out of him. And John is saying that very, very clearly. He doesn't just give life. He doesn't just have life. Jesus is life. Didn't Jesus say that in John chapter 14? I am the way the truth, and the life. Jesus would also say, I am the resurrection and the life. The Bible ties itself together. When you read back in the book of Genesis, there was the two trees that were in the garden. There was the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and there was the tree of life. I, I believe that the tree of life 
is representation of really just God. And here we have Jesus saying, I am life. And so when you look back and you think about the tree of life and the reason that Adam and Eve were banished from the garden, God says, lest they stretch forth their hand and take and eat from the tree of life and live forever in the condition that they're in, having disobeyed God, lest they stretch forth their hand and take and eat from the tree of life. Jesus is life. Amen. Jesus is the way, the truth, the life, the resurrection, and the life. Jesus represents and is life. Verse 3, what we have seen and heard we proclaim to you also, so that you too may have fellowship with us, and indeed our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son. Here John's saying, what we saw and experienced, I'm proclaiming to you so that you would have fellowship. You didn't see it, you didn't see Jesus, you weren't with him as we were, but in order for you to have fellowship, the word fellowship means to share in, to participate with. The way in which the readers would participate in and share with what John and the fellow apostles saw and touched and listened to and handled in Christ is that they would believe what's being said. The truth that's coming out of John, the teaching, the apostles' doctrine, the way in which we would have, we would, they would have fellowship with God is that they would be able to participate through what John is sharing, the truth that's coming out of him. And so he's saying, so that you, may have, you might have fellowship with us, I want you to understand this. Now, the Greeks use the word fellowship to describe partners in business, joint owners of a piece of property or shareholders in a common enterprise. This is the way that they would use that word. Obviously, that's not the way that we use the word, but the word's used 60 times in the New Testament, the word fellowship. And so John's really talking about how it is that we have fellowship Together as believers, we have fellowship with Jesus Christ and his Father. The way that we do that is believe upon the truth. And so this was of utmost importance to him. In verse 4, he goes on to say, I write this to you so that our uh, joy may be made complete. Um, It really says your joy. Most translations will say your joy. Joy comes from salvation, and the Gospel of John says something like this in John 15, 11, if you were to go ahead and look that up, that the joy of the Lord is found in salvation. This is what he's talking about. I write this to you so that your joy may be complete. He's really wanting to break off the shackles of false teaching at the same time. It's steeped in this context of this background of false teaching that they were starting to believe and adhere to. So John's really doing a good job and a thorough job of breaking them away from that. Verse 5, he says, This is the message we have heard from him and announced to you, that God is light, and in him there is no darkness. God is light. And this must be compared to other statements. You're going to read in 1 John chapter 4, God is love. In the Gospel of John chapter 4, it says God is spirit. This is not something God has. This is something that God is. God is spirit. God is love. God is light. It's his essence. It's not something that he has as an attribute. It's something that he is, his very essence. And John makes that quite clear. In verse 6, he says, If we say that we have fellowship with him, and, we, and yet we walk in darkness, we lie, and we do not practice the truth. If we claim, you remember if we claim, if we claim or if we say that we have fellowship with him, there are false teachers that claimed that they had fellowship with God. 
and yet they walked in darkness. And here he's trying to help them with this contrast. There are going to be people who say one thing, but the opposite is actually true. So they're going to claim that they have fellowship with God, but they're going to walk in darkness. If they walk in darkness and claim fellowship with God, they're lying. Like That's just a very clear thing. Now, this doesn't have to be true just of Gnostics or Gnosticism or teaching that's this, this type of teaching that influences believers. This could be any teaching. And we have teachings today where people are going to say that they have fellowship with God and they're close with God. And in reality, they're not. They're walking in falsehood. They're walking in error. They're walking in their sin. And they're proud of their sin. They're, they love their sin. Uh, they think that sin doesn't matter. I've even heard teachings where, you know, we don't have a sin nature anymore. That's just a false claim. It's a lie. It's not reality. And so he's saying that if we claim something that is not true and we literally deny the truth, we lie and we're n- we don't really have the fellowship that we claim. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light as he is himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. We already read that God is light, so to walk in light means that we are walking without a glaring hypocrisy that others can see and that we ought to be ashamed of. It's to walk without hypocrisy. It's to be in the light. We're not ashamed. We've got no skeletons in the closet. It does not mean that we're perfect. It means that we're not hiding some glaring hypocrisy or acting as though this, this sin or whatever might be in our lives is not really there. We're walking in the truth We're walking openly and honestly before God and before one another. Light is truth and holiness. Darkness is falsehood and sin. When we walk in the light with the Lord, we have fellowship with one another, it says, and the blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Leviticus 16.30 shows us that blood sacrifice atoned for sin, and now we read here in many other places, especially in Hebrews, that the blood of Jesus perpetually and eternally cleanses us from all sin and the guilt of sin so that fellowship with God and others is possible. The way we have clean relationship with one another, the way we have a clean relationship with God is through Jesus. There is no forgiveness. There is no cleansing of sin apart from Christ. The word sin is mentioned here, not sins. And this is really important. As you walk through the book of Romans, you're going to find that there are two different references that are made. The first is going to be sin, which is singular. Sins is plural. Sin is a condition. Sins, plural, are actions. What is said here is that our sin is cleansed. We are cleansed from our sin. This is the condition of sin. This is to excavate the whole root system. That's what the blood of Jesus has done. Now, I want you to hear that because in Leviticus 16.30 and what Hebrews references as the sacrificial system, that cleansed someone from their sins. This is why they would have to continue to come back to offer the blood of bulls and goats. But when we come to Christ, we don't continually offer the blood the blood of bulls and goats. We don't offer any blood of an animal, but the blood of the Lamb of God has been shed. And this was not just any blood. This is the precious blood of Jesus, the God man. This is precious blood that was shed. It's representation of his life, that he is the life. Life is in the blood. When Jesus gave his life, this is why we talk about the blood because life is in the blood. When he gave his life, when he shed his blood, he did that on our behalf. And we're going to read in chapter 2 
that this blood that was offered, he's the advocate, the once and for all sacrifice, the propitiation, the satisfaction of the righteous demands of the law. Jesus offered himself in our place. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin, the condition of sin. It excavates that condition and it causes us to not have to continually come and offer anything to God. Jesus is the one that offered on our behalf to the Father, satisfying the righteous demands of the law. This is really powerful to show that the guilt of sin can be cleansed in our life. And therefore, all we have and all we need is Jesus Christ. Sin, as I've told you, we're going to get into this in chapter 2, so I don't want to go too far. Verse 8, if we say, and this is another passage that would say, if we claim, if we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now his opponents, John's opponents, the Gnostics, they did claim this. If we claim we are without sin, and he knows that there are people who have claimed that. They claimed to be without sin. The Gnostic teaching had influenced them uh, completely. John goes on to say, we deceive ourselves. Self-deception is the highest and most powerful form of deception because now the source is no longer external. It's not just coming from a person, but now we actually own and believe the fact that we, or believe this as fact, that we do not have sin. We don't have a sin nature. We don't sin. Sin is not our reality. You're trying to tell me that I sin, but I really don't. And that actually is a teaching that's floating around today. It's kind of amazing. And it's a misunderstanding, to be honest with you. When we talk about confessing our sin to God, we say, come to God and confess your sin. If you're already a Christian, we're not talking about salvational forgiveness. We're talking about relational forgiveness. If you want to keep your relationship with God clean, you cannot avoid truth. You cannot avoid the reality of any wrongdoing that you've committed. And when you've committed a wrong and you've committed a sin that violates the nature of, of who you are in Christ, to get right with God is not to have to get saved again. It's to just be clean in your relationship. If my wife and I had some kind of riff and I, I were to walk in and, and get angry and yell at her or whatever, and then I just leave the house and I've sinned against her, and I come back in an hour later, and I say, hey, Bridget, uh, when's dinner going to be ready? And I act like nothing has happened, even though I have violated our covenant. We are in covenant, and the fact that I yelled at my wife doesn't take me out of covenant relationship with her, but it violates our love relationship, which is what relationship is based on. You know, so when I come back in an hour later, and I try to act like nothing's happened, that relationship's not a good one because I have sinned against my wife. Now, my sin against her doesn't bring me out of the covenant, but it certainly makes it so that our relationship is not clean. So the first thing, men, that we need to do is ask for forgiveness so that we can have that restored relationship. But to act as though that sin wasn't there would destroy or erode that relationship. And so people do claim this even today. They, they have this claim that we no longer have a sin nature. Well, my question is, why do you still sin then? See, you have a born-again new nature, and the Holy Spirit now lives within you, and He is renewing our mind and helping us to walk in the truth. But the fact is, and let's be honest, you still sin. You sin because you still have the capacity to sin in this life. 
It doesn't mean that you're not born again. It doesn't mean you're not a new creation in Christ. It means that you are not fully who you will be, and God is continuing to help you and I grow in the knowledge of who we are and what Jesus has done for us. And as we continue to walk in Him, and as we literally abide in Him, He is light. It's not that it's that we want to be close to Him. As we are close to life Himself, we will walk as He is. But listen, we can still sin, and we don't want to sin. We don't want to make excuses for our sin, and we don't want to avoid and act like sin isn't there. And that's what the Gnostics did. They acted like they didn't have any sin when everyone else around them knew it. You could see it. You could smell it. You could touch it. They had sin in their lives, but they claimed to be without sin. And John is actually refuting that. That teaching is still going on today in different forms. I've, meet pe- I've met people that say, that because they're Christians, they no longer have any sin in their lives. Because they're Christians, they don't have to ask God for forgiveness. They, they, they mistake and they misunderstand what John is talking about, what we're even talking about when we teach come to God. There's a difference between salvational forgiveness and relational forgiveness. But this presupposition of I'm not really sinning even though I'm sinning, or I don't have to come to God, will be a denial of the truth of your actions. And when you deny the truth of your actions, you don't come to God humbly, honestly, and openly. And when you don't come to God humbly, honestly, and openly, you're not going to have that restored fellowship because you're not walking in the truth. You're not walking in submission to Him. You're not walking in honesty to Him. You're not looking to Him as your source. Oh, Father, please forgive me. Cleanse me from unrighteousness. Lord, help me to not do that again. You're not, you're not groveling asking him to save you as though you're not a Christian. You're asking him to clean you so that you walk out the life that Jesus has created you for. You're walking out the life that God has called you to live. Live a life worthy of the calling for which you have received in Christ Jesus, Ephesians 4.1. This is what we're about. And so confession literally means that we agree with God. God knows everything. He knows the truth of all things. He knows what we've done. He knows what we've not done. He knows what we look like behind closed doors. He knows all of our deeds, all of our actions, all of our obedience, all of our disobedience. So to confess means that we come into agreement with the truth according to God. And so he says right here, if we confess, verse 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful And he is righteous to forgive us our sins. So if we confess our sins, we know that God is faithful even if we've been unfaithful. If we confess our sins, he is righteous even though clearly we've been unrighteous. And it's important to know who God is even if we haven't been the same. And so he is faithful and he is righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Now there's a bunch of things here that I think is really important and I just wanna mention this. Number one, We've got to learn to confess our sins to God. If you sin, not that you want to, but if you do sin as a Christian, then you need to confess your sin to God. I need to confess my sin to God. That's making that relationship clean. That's being right with God, not avoiding what's true, not avoiding what's really there, coming into agreement with the truth of what he knows and sees and having that relationship cleansed. So God not only forgives us, wipes away any debt that's there relationally, but the second thing that he does is he cleanses us from unrighteousness. He can break off any perpetual or residual sin that can keep going in our life. Let me just say this to you. 
you do not have to continue to keep doing the same old sin. Sure, we're going to be fighting off that sin nature. Sure, we're going to be fighting off the temptations to sin. By the way, you have the flesh, and it's going to try to prompt you to do things that your born-again nature does not want to do. You do have, the enemy is, in our, is around us at times. Demonic spirits are going to try to lie to us, tempt us to do things that the flesh wants to do. And we can learn to resist the enemy and flee, submit ourselves to God. This is what we're learning to do in every circumstance. But if we sin, we confess. We come into agreement with the truth of what has transpired. But we also profess. We confess our sin. We profess the truth. We are forgiven and we contend for that cleansing that God does, that deep work of cleansing so that that sin doesn't have to keep happening in our lives. We've got to move beyond just forgiveness and move into a place of cleansing. And it starts by what we believe. If this says that he forgives us and he cleanses us from unrighteousness, then we need to believe that. We don't believe what we want to believe. We believe what the word of God says. Now, here's something I want to share with you, and I think this is really important, especially as we kind of bring this to a close. I've done this really deep dive recently in 1 John, and I'm studying it throughout my devotions. I've kind of slowed down on some of my other reading plans, and this is really what I've been doing because I want to learn. I don't just want to share this with you, but I actually want to understand this at a deeper level. And so that's what I'm seeking to do. But I kind of had this feeling like, Lord, am I just uh, studying to know things? Like, I mean, I'm kind of a Bible nerd, and that's okay. And if you're like me, it's cool. (laughs) I like to learn things. I like to learn about original words or original language. I like to learn about the history, the historicity, the context. All of that stuff's really important to me. But I was just kind of feeling like maybe... I was just learning things and not gleaning as much as I, as I should for my own personal life. And, um, you know, because you feel like that sometimes, like, what am I growing in? Do, you know, am I going deeper? Am I growing deeper myself? And because every day you're not going to get something out of the Word that's going to apply right, that, right, right then and there in that second that you're in. And you need to know that, right? We, we need to understand that. And then it was uh, this weekend I was preaching, and on Sunday I was... Uh, I got down from, from preaching, and I prayed for a number of people and talked with a number of people after the service, and there was a, a guy that came up to me, a young guy, and he just walked up, and he told me who he was and where he was from, and as we began to talk, the first, one of the first things out of his mouth was, I'm a bad man. That's literally what he said to me, I'm a bad man, and he began to cry, and, and so I just asked him about you know whether or not he knows Jesus or believes in Christ, whatever, so... Uh, long story short, I got to pray with him to receive Christ, and I got to give him a, a really, he, doesn't, he didn't really have a Bible that was functional, so I, I got to give him a, a big fire Bible, which we have in our bookstore. I gave him a fire Bible in one of my books. I prayed with him, I give his life to Christ. He walked through repentance, and it was amazing because I had literally studied this passage. If we confess our sin, he is faithful, and he is righteous to forgive us and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It was so deeply rooted in me that I walked him through this, and I said, look, because his first comment was, I'm a bad man. And I said, you may be that, but let me tell you about who God is. Let me tell you about how God is. Listen to me. What we're doing here is we're not just trying to study to know more. This passage right here was so deeply in me that I was able to walk this man through 
the truth of what the word of God says. This is what we want from the daily word. This is what we want from our Bible study is that the word gets so deeply rooted in us that it flows out of us in moments like this. I don't just wanna be a scholar of any kind. I don't just wanna know the Bible more than others. I wanna know what I need to know in order to help people know him. And that's exactly what happened. And I saw the fruit of my study come right out. And he came into a place of confession of his sin before God, but also professing the truth of who God says he is and what God says he will do. God, it says God is faithful and righteous and he will forgive and he will cleanse. And it's not based on who we are. It's based on who God is. And that's what I was able to walk this man through. It was really, really powerful. And this is what I want to tell you, is that as we study the word, we get this word inside of us, and when we're praying for someone, talking with someone, when we're going through something, this word, we get squeezed, and it's going to flow out of us. So I'm just encouraging you to stay tuned to the daily word, amen? That's so important for us to be all about this, right? To go as deep as, deep as we can, and it's not wasted at all. Verse 10 says this, and then we'll close. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. This is, I believe, the third time. If we claim that we have not sinned, this was another false claim from the Gnostics. Now, Gnostics will go so far, not only to claim that they don't currently have sin, but they've been convinced, and they're trying to convince other believers that they never had any sin, right? And this is why they're trying to do away with the humanity of Jesus. They have different ways of, of trying to like really... Um, redo truth, like redo the story of Christ. So he's saying, if we claim we have not sinned, right? So the claim was we have never sinned, not just that we don't sin. The claim goes from we don't currently sin to we have never sinned. And we just have to think about that real quickly because this is how far false teaching will go. This is the lesson that we can learn from this. False teaching starts in smaller things and then it grows and it grows and it grows and it gets to the point where it literally... Re, revises the original truth. Original truth meaning this, we know that we have sin because we walked away from God in our own rebellion and in our own choices. As a result of that, God sent his one and only son. Jesus chose to lay down his life as the propitiation for our sins, as the atonement for our sins. He died in our place. And for all those who believe upon him, can have everlasting life and be restored in their relationship with the Father. Okay, we need a Savior. We needed someone to take our place because the Bible says in Romans chapter 3, the wages of sin is death. God told Adam and Eve, if you eat from this tree, you're going to die. This is what this is going to cause. I didn't create you for death. I created you for life. But he gave them a choice and they chose death. That was humanity. Every one of us would have chose the same thing. So all human beings are under that death sentence. Jesus is giving us a life sentence if we choose him. And so this is what it's all about. He is life. He is light. So now the Gnostics are claiming that they've never sinned. And this is what John says. If, if you claim that you're without sin or you were ever, you've always been without sin, you're a liar and the truth is not in you at all. Because you're claiming that to the point where Jesus' sacrifice doesn't even matter. And let me just tell you, I've actually heard stuff like that even in modern times. I've heard people say all kinds of things, and the false teaching continues to grow. It continues to come out more and more. People continue to revise history, 
and act like what this, what this word says is not true. And that's what John is saying. You're making his word out to be a lie, but you're the liar and the truth is not in you. In other words, God's word is true. Anyone else that teaches different is a liar and the truth is not in them. Reject falsehood. And let me just tell you as we close, I, I don't want to go through all of the false teachings. They had Gnosticism. We have our version of Gnosticism today, but I can't even tell you how many times in 22 years that I've run into false teaching. It's just incredible. False teaching continues. I'm baffled by the amount of false teaching that I have seen in my Christian life. And so I want you to know, John's talking about the word is true. Here's what we know. The word is true. This is why we need to study it. And this is why I am adamant about Christians not just reading daily devotionals, not just reading books that are based on the Bible. That's all fine, but we've got to know the Word of God ourselves. And please do not say, Pastor Ben, I can't understand it. That is not true. You do not have to be a scholar. You do not have to be the smartest person in the room. You just have to apply your effort. I mean, I'm just fascinated by how, much, how many things that people do. You know what it is? They take the effort and the energy that they have and they give themselves to something. We've got to give a portion of ourselves over to God's word that we would hide his word in our heart that we would not sin against him, that we would build up in our faith the truth in our hearts and in our minds and renew our mind according to the word of God. As we do that, when falsehood comes, we'll be able to discern it. We're not going to be swayed by it. But falsehood continues to come, and, and please don't think that you wouldn't be influenced by it. I think that we're easily influenced by not only um, some convincing argument, but we're influenced by that vacuum of ignorance. Where there is not truth and the knowledge of God's word, we have this place of ignorance. And if we allow that ignorance to continue to grow in our lives for years and years and years, and I'm not saying you have to read the Bible for an hour or two a day, but there has to be this connection, this rooting to truth, which is part of why we do the daily word, so that we can stay away from false teaching, which means we can stay away from the road of error. That's the whole point of staying away from false teaching. It's not being good at identifying false teaching. It's being good enough to identify false teaching so that we can stay on the path of life. And that really is ultimately our goal. It's not being watchdogs for falsehood. It's being people that can identify the truth and truth tellers as a result of it. Amen. Well, that's all I have to share with you on the daily word, the first 10 verses of the book of 1 John chapter 1. But hey, God bless you. Thank you for joining me. Let me go ahead and pray for us as we close our time. Father, I thank you for everyone that's joining me today. I pray that you would bless and strengthen us, fill us with the Holy Spirit, Renew our minds according to your word. Help us to walk in truth and righteousness. We love you and we look forward to all that you're going to do in our lives. Help us to stay faithful to you. And uh, we just take this truth into our lives for today. In Jesus' mighty name, amen and amen. Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ignite Global Ministries, please go to our website, igniteglobalministries.org. While there, check out our Immersion Discipleship School and the books Pastor Ben has written.